I came to a conclusion that we need to have a president's joke book. <laughs> and we should, we should collect all the best from all the past presidents and compile them into a joke book and compete with the women who have their cookbook. <laughs> we could probably make a lot of money for this place. <laughs> We would include one joke of uh, Bob's, which was the one this morning. <laughs> all of Gary's. <laughs> all of Ken Stoner's. We collect all the old Ken Stoner's. Okay. Well, we are in Psalm 112. So take your Bible and turn there, if you will, please. And I want to thank Bob for serving as president. Now he knows how... Uh, President Obama feels as he's ending up his presidency. Great hopes, great hopes start, then you see what happens at the end. That's the testimony of every president who's ever served anywhere. It doesn't matter what the organization is. Peggy Patterson's back from Michigan. Thank you, Peggy, for coming back. We thought you were going to stay up there. Peggy's been gone for two weeks, and all kinds of things have happened in those two weeks, haven't they? Said, don't leave anymore. So she's going to stick around for a while. Okay, we are in Psalm 112. And we might characterize Psalm 112 as a companion psalm or a sequel to Psalm 111. Just like you have, you know, Rocky 4 and Rocky 5 and Jaws 1 and Jaws 2 and all those kinds. So we have Psalm 111 and Psalm 112 because Psalm 112 picks up where Psalm 111 leaves off. And that, in that sense, it's a sequel. So Psalm 111 says in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And then Psalm 12 in verse 1 says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. So we see this continuous theme. Both Psalms also begin the same way with the phrase, praise the Lord. Psalm 111 begins that way. Psalm 112 begins that way. Both psalms are alphabet psalms. We said each one of these psalms has 22 lines, and each one of the lines begins in the Hebrew language with one of the Hebrew letters. Now, we can't see that in our English versions, but that connects these two psalms together. And therefore, we think that both of these psalms were probably uh, written by the same composer. Okay? So let's look at Psalm 112, and I want you to notice how it opens. It opens with an exclamation, praise the Lord. <clears throat> and uh, in the Hebrew, it's only one verse. I mean, it's only one word, and that's the word hallelujah. But it's translated in our English Bibles as praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Those last three letters are J-A-H, which we get our word Jehovah. That's the Redeemer God. That's the God who revealed himself. When Moses said, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them that Jehovah sent you. Which in our English Bible is translated, I am. Tell him that I am who, who the great I am sent me. So this is who he praises. This is the God of the covenant. That's why in our Bibles, the printers put all capitals for the word Lord. So you'll know it's Jehovah or Yahweh. Okay? That's the God of the covenant who establishes an agreement with his people. Okay. This is followed by a beatitude. Now notice what it says. 
blessed is the man. Sounds similar to Psalm 1, doesn't it? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, remember that? Nor standeth in the way, meaning the highway of sinners, or uh, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the Lord, you know, the law of the Lord. And in his law he does meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the waters, you know, giving fruit in its season, and he shall not be moved. So we have this psalm, Blessed is the Man, which is a reflection of Psalm 1, and you're going to see how close it really follows Psalm 1. Okay? Blessed is the man. Okay? Who is the blessed man? Look at this. Blessed is the man who what? Number one, fears the Lord. And number two, look at this. Who delights greatly in his commandments. So now, we saw in Psalm 111... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now we see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of blessings for the person who fears the Lord and leads to obedience. Notice it says he delights. He doesn't find God's commandments grievous. He doesn't find God's commandments burdensome. But he delights in God's commandments. Now, that's the blessed man. Who is the blessed man? The one who fears God and the one who delights in God's work. Okay? Now, how is he blessed? Look what it says in verse 2. First, his descendants, the blessed man's descendants, will be mighty on the earth, which means they will be powerful, they will be influential on the earth. They will be valiant, some translations say. So, the blessed man is blessed, first of all, by his children and his children's children being influential. A number of years ago, there was a study on the life of Jonathan Edwards. Now, you know who Jonathan Edwards was. He was lived back in the mid-1700s. He was the man who wrote sinners and preached sinners in the hands of, the, of an angry God. Considered at that time the most intelligent man in America. And he was a godly man and he pastored a church in Northampton. And so they traced his children and his children's children from 1737 up through 1905. And they discovered that his descendants, his line was filled with presidents of colleges, Preachers, professors, you know, army officers, lawyers, all professionals. Not one ever ended up in jail. Not one ever ended up in poverty. And then they studied a contemporary in his town, who also lived in the mid-1700s, by the name of John Jukes. Now, Jukes was a bum. He was a reprobate. He had no use for Christ. And so they traced his descendancy all the way down to 1900. And guess what they found? A line full of people who were prisoners, <laughs> a line full of people who were in poverty, a line full of people who, you know, were horse thieves, you know, con artists. And what's the difference? The difference was the one was blessed and it had a benefit. And the benefit was upon his children and his children's children, and they became influential. Now, there are a lot of people 
that are Christians. But notice, it doesn't say Christians. It says the blessed person is not just the Christian, it's the person who does what? Fears God and does what? Yeah, desires and enjoys God's word. And not only obeys it, but enjoys and delights in God's word. Delights greatly, look at that, in God's commandments. That man, not every Christian, but that kind of person's descendants will be very influential and mighty on the earth. And then look what else it says. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Not only his children's children, but his children, his own generation, his family will be blessed. And so we see that. Now that's talking about the man who fears God and the one who delights in God's word. Now look at the second blessing. Verse 3. Wealth and riches will be in his house. He will prosper financially. The person who fears God and delights greatly in God's word will prosper financially. Here's a formula for economic success right here. Right in this passage. And I believe the Old Testament saints believe this. Now not all Old Testament saints prospered. But not all Old Testament saints feared God either or delighted in his word. In fact, what would you say was the attitude toward most Jews in the Old Testament times? What were they? Disobedient. <laughs> and they didn't fear God. They were out for number one. They're always trying to take a shortcut. See? But those who did, this was the outcome. Look what else it says in verse 3. And that person whom God blesses, his righteousness endures forever. It has a continuous effect. There are continuous rewards. In other words, it goes on and on and on and on. So that's the second blessing. Now look at the third blessing. Look at verse 4. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. Now how many times have we seen this word upright or right righteousness? We saw it in verse Two, you saw it in verse 2, generation upright. You see in verse 3, his righteousness endures forever. Now in verse 4, unto the upright, look at this. This is the next promise, next blessing. There arises light in the darkness. Now notice that even the person who fears God and delights in his word will have periods of darkness. He's not exempt from adversity. But guess what happens? Does it keep him down? No, guess what happens? The sun comes up in the morning. That's the wording here. Uh, he doesn't stay in the darkness. He doesn't stay depressed. He doesn't stay, uh, you know, under the dark. doesn't always have this dark night of the soul. He, he sort of uh, comes out of that state. So that's a promise. Yes, you will have adversity, but guess what? The light will shine for you, in a sense, metaphorically, the next day. Look what else it says in verse 4. He is gracious. Now this is just describing the person who fears God. If you want to know how you know if a person fears God, here's the description of it. Okay? If you want to know if a person delights in God's word, here's the description of it. Here's the kind of person that's blessed. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. Very interesting, in Psalm 111, it says God is these things, but now it says it's the man who is blessed who is this way. He is gracious. He is, what else? 
full of compassion, and he's righteous. Okay? Now, gracious means he's uh, courteous, uh, kind. Compassion means he is loving. Compassion is always given upon some, somebody, uh, bestowed upon somebody. He's compassionate. He loves other people. He's, he is generous. He is charitable toward others. How so? Now look at verse 5. A good man, and this would be the person that fears God, deals graciously, meaning with others, and look what else he does in verse 5. He what? He lends. When he sees there's a need, he, he lends a hand. He maybe helps somebody out financially on a temporary basis. He makes a loan, you know. That's the person who fears God. That's the person who delights in his work. Why? Because the Bible says to do those kinds of things. Just with the person. A person who doesn't fear God, who happens to have money, and there are many, their attitude is just the opposite. They look at somebody who's in need, so he deserves that. Oftentimes, they're an elitist. They have a mindset, and they're very abusive in the way they treat people. They say, well, I'm not going to give him anything. He didn't earn it. Look, I earned everything I made. I'm fearful. And you're always fearful of losing his money. It's an amazing thing about some people, isn't it? Even though they call themselves Christians, they're afraid to think that the next day they're going to wake up and say, oh, going to be gone. And many of these people are very miserly. But notice the person who fears God. Notice he's called a good man. That's an unusual phrase, isn't it? We always think, well, we're sinners. But guess what? When you come to Christ... You go from being a sinner to being a good person, especially if you fear God. And here is how you live. You deal graciously and you lend. Now, I've heard the statement, neither a borrower or a lender be, and that's scripture, isn't it? Now, that's Ben Franklin. <laughs> Remember the guy who said a penny saved is a... Miserable little miserly Ben Franklin. Penny saved is a penny earned, neither a lender. But guess what the Bible says? A lender bid. You see that? A lender bid because you're compassionate. And it's okay to borrow, according to the Bible. Because if you're lending, guess what? Somebody's borrowing. <laughs> and what moves you to lend the money? You're gracious and you're compassionate toward that person. Now look what else, because even though we are to lend, now watch this, we're not to be foolish. Okay? Look at the rest of verse 5. He will guide his affairs how? <laughs> With discretion. <laughs> he will guide his affairs uh, sensibly, if you want to use that word. He will, he will guide his affairs judiciously. So, he sees a need. Now watch this. He sees a need. His heart is moved with compassion toward that need. But his mind guides him with discretion. He's able to determine when to loan and when not to loan, whom to loan and whom not to loan. So here, we'll notice what? He's not just moved by his heart. He's also guided by his brain. You see that? He lends, but he does things with discretion. He guides his own affairs with discretion. 
That's probably why he can win, because he's very prudent the way he does his own affairs. Now look at the next verse. Look at verse 6. This is the fourth blessing. Surely he, that's the man who fears God and delights in his word, he will rarely be shaken. Is that what it says? He will never be shaken. Meaning by the circumstances of life, by the setbacks that come, by those dark nights. He always knows the sun's coming up. He's not shaken when he uh, gets into a situation like this. Rather than being shaken, and what's the opposite of being shaken? Being stable, being confident, being firm. Notice that person who fears God doesn't fear man, doesn't fear the stock market crash, doesn't fear that, doesn't fear this. His focus is there, and it's out toward people with compassion. That person is never shaken because he's a person of faith, a woman of faith. And then look what else it says in verse 6. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. <clears throat> in everlasting remembrance of whom? Who do you think is remembering this person, this righteous person? That he could be so certain that he doesn't have to be shaken over anything. Who do you think remembers it? That's yeah, God who remembers it. Because God has entered into a covenant and an agreement, and he says, if you do this, I'll never forget you. I'll never forsake you. I'll take care of you. God will keep his end of the bargain, and he knows that. As long as he keeps his end of the bargain, God will keep his end of the bargain, and therefore the righteous will be in, ever, in everlasting remembrance. God will never let him down. Now look at verse 7. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. Bad news will arrive, but he won't run scared when bad news arrives. See that? That's bad news, evil tidings. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. <laughs> Not like that. Notice that. And that's the stock market. Yes, I can I only say stock market in the class of people who have money that could go into a stock market. It's just a totally poor class that said, the cupboard's bare. I just want you to realize that. Okay. It doesn't matter what the bad news is, guess what? He doesn't run scared. You see that in verse 7? Look at this. His heart is steadfast. And look how that's described. Trusting in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the God of the covenant who will never let the person down. His heart is established. He will not be afraid. Look at that until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Now this tells, gives us a little bit of context. Now we discover that some of the evil tidings are as a result of enemies out there who want to do him harm. And this, if this were like King David who wrote this, a king who's writing this, you can see how there are all these rumors that, hey, there's a coup against you, there's an army against you. You can see how David would still just trust the Lord and not... Uh, be afraid over those situations. But the enemy will get theirs. That's <laughs> what it basically says. And you'll get yours. And what you're going to get is good things from God, blessings, and the enemy are going to get the cursings who have broken the covenant. 
So his heart is established. He will not be afraid until. See, there's a duration of time there. It'll, it'll just be continuous, you know, stability. And finally, the enemy will succumb. The bad news will subside and it will be all over. That's the person who fears God. Now look at verse 9. This is great. The person that God blesses, the person who fears God, the person who delights in God's word, look at this. He has dispersed abroad. He spreads his wealth around. He supports many causes. Look at that. Many causes. He blesses others with what he has. He doesn't withhold charity. He disperses it. Like good word there. Disperses it. And if you want to get real specific, look at the next statement in verse 9. He has given to... How many times have you seen that? He's given to the poor. That's just a theme that's over and over again, especially in the Psalms. You know, Dwight L. Moody was a great evangelist in the late 1800s. So much money came into the Dwight L. Moody organization today we would say that he would have been a multi-multi-millionaire. The Moody Sankey songbook which brought in millions of dollars of royalties. Now remember, this was a day when everybody in America owned a songbook. And, the, and they had it in their house. And the songbook they had in their house was the Ira Sankey, Dwight L. Moody, Songbook of Revivals. They made millions of dollars off of that, these two men. And God allowed them to make the money because they never kept any of it. All of it was given away. They started orphanages, they started schools for girls, they started schools for boys, they started Bible colleges, they took care of the poor, they fed the hungry. None of it ever stuck to their hands. Someone said God gave money to Moody because he never held on to it tightly. He was a man whom God blessed. I was reading last night about John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church. When he died, he, he writes in his journals, John Wesley kept great diaries and journals. He said, if I ever die with a hundred pounds to my name, you'll know I'm a fraud. When he died, he had three coins in his pocket. That was the total wealth of John, John Wesley, except for the books that he had. Three coins in his pocket, the total wealth of John Wesley. Although he was paid 1,400 pounds a year, he lived on 30 pounds a year. That's English money back in the you know, 1700s. Paid 1,400 pounds a year. He lived on 30 pounds a year and gave the rest of it. Dies with three coins in his pocket. Look, that's what it says. Disperses his wealth abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now, lest you think this is just something from the Old Testament, that verse is repeated in the New Testament. Now, you've heard the verse, God loves, what kind of a giver? A cheerful giver. Did you ever read the verses around? Let me show it to you. Put your finger here and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul talking about giving. 
And he does something very interesting. <clears throat> and look at verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. But this I say, Paul writes, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. This is 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his own heart, not grudgingly, out of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. There's your phrase. And he's able to make all grace abound toward you, that you will always have all sufficiency in all things, and may have abundance for every good work, as it is written. Look at this. This is a quote from Psalm 112. He is dispersed. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Notice the Apostle Paul uses that verse to show why God blesses people. It's because they give to the poor. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So there's the Apostle Paul actually quoting Psalm 112 in verse 9. So go back there and we'll finish up this psalm. It's very interesting. Here's what it says. Psalm 112 and verse 9. He is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. In other words, his reputation endures forever. It has lasting results. And then it says this right at the end of verse 9. His horn will be exalted with honor. Now the word horn in the Old Testament is a metaphor and it, it means power or authority. Okay? So here's what it says. And the person who gives to the poor and all this kind of stuff, his authority, his power, will be exalted with honor because he uses his power and his influence is for good, then he receives honor that is ongoing. Uh, and that's the kind of person all of us should want to be. We want to be kind of, kind of people who our influence is honored. People say, oh, you know what he does? You know what she does? And they have a good report about us because of the way we live. They know that's a testimony to God's goodness and to the way we live. And that's what we want. We want to be honored for the right reasons. When a person thinks of you, what do they think about? How you use your influence? Do they? I don't trust that. You know, what's their opinion of you? Well, the opinion of the person who does these things is one that's positive. That person is honored. Now, by contrast, okay, we talked about the person that fears God and delights in God's word and his commandments. They're not burdensome. They do. Okay. He's blessed in four different ways. We saw all kinds of ways that he lives. By contrast, look at this, verse 10. The wicked see it. They see everything that good man does. And look what happens. The wicked see it and will be grieved. They look at the, the blessed man's generosity and guess what they are? I, I can't believe anybody would do that. They grieve over that. See this? They're troubled over that. 
They're indignant that anybody would do that. They're critical of the good person who does these things. And then look what else it says about this wicked person. He will gnash his teeth. Which means he goes, goes into a rage. He will gnash his teeth and he will melt away. The envy and the rage consumes the person. See? The envy and the rage is like rust that eats away at the person's soul and they just melt away. They die in that kind of condition. And then look at verse 10. In verse 10. The desire of the wicked shall what? Perish. Everything they want, they're going to die and it's just going to go with them and that's going to be the end of it. It'll perish. Adam and Eve desired something. They were tempted by Satan. He said, if you eat that, you know what? You'll be just like God. You know, God's trying to limit you. You're not free. You're in bondage. They had this desire. And guess what? They ate, and what happened? Just the opposite. Their freedom was gone. It perished just like that with them. And that's how the wicked are. Now, notice that this person is called, in verse 10, wicked twice. See? The wicked shall see it, and in the last sentence, the desire of the wicked. Now, these people who are called wicked are not necessarily real evil, as we think of it. These are Jews, too. These are Jews living in Jerusalem as well. But they're wicked because, guess what? They don't fear God, and they don't delight in His Word, and therefore they are characterized as being wicked. They have no compassion, they're not generous. And these people are just going to melt away and they're going to be forgotten. However, the blessed man is never forgotten. Um, when I look at Psalm 1, it says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. First thing. But his delight in the law of the Lord. Verse 1. And in his law he does meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in season whose leaf shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly, verse 10, are not so, but are like chaff which the wind drives away. And therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the day of judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Same way this psalm right here ends. If you seek first, first, the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then all these things will be added. Psalm 112. Next week will be our last psalm of the summer. It'll be Psalm 113. And that's only nine verses. It's one of the praise verses, though, because the verse Psalm 111, Psalm 112, and 113 both begin the same way, with praise the Lord. So that'll be our last psalm of the summer. Then we'll go back to the book of Isaiah for a few weeks, and we'll touch on some major themes there.
And then we'll take another break and we'll go to the New Testament and we will either go into, let's say, 1 Peter or something like that and get to the New Testament before we go back to the Old Testament. Oh, Lord, we don't want to be self-consumed, self-idolized people. We want to have our focus outside of ourselves. We want to look upward to you and outward to others who are in need. Help us, Lord, not just to be Christians. Help us not to be people who just have prayed a prayer to trust Christ for eternal life and in the future and not live the life in the present. Help us, Lord, to fear you, what that means, respect you enough to know you'll keep your word, positive or negative. And help us, Lord, to delight in your word. Help us, Lord, to, to love your word. Help us to consume your word. Help us to be in your word. Help us to assimilate that word into our thinking and into our minds and then into action. Oh, Lord, we want to be the person here. We want to be the blessed person. We see what it takes. We see what that kind of person looks like. And we've seen the blessings that come with it. Oh, Lord, help us to be those kinds of people in Christ's name.